0: two weeks ago now uh, called The Great Doctrines of Our Faith and Their Relevance for Our Lives. And what we're doing is we're going to walk through some doctrinal truths together. Basically what we as Bible-believing Christians believe uh, about different uh, different areas of our faith. For example, uh, tonight we're going to talk about the Doctrine of Revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but the Doctrine of Revelation, the fact that God reveals things to uh, to humanity, and so we'll talk some more about that tonight or next week. We're going to begin to talk about the doctrine of God. We're going to talk about the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and and talk about these different uh, issues. and And sometimes when people hear a pastor say we're going to talk about doctrine, they think well that's dry, that's boring. Why do we need to do that? You know, what's the big deal, kind of thing. And I came across an article that is a reminder to me and a reminder to you why it's important that we understand doctrine and we teach it and we remember it and we cling to it and we stand on it. And, and this article came from the New York Times by Cody O'Laughlin, and, and here was the title of the article. It caught my eye, so I had to click on it and read it. The title of the article, some of you may have read this, was The New Chief Chaplain at Harvard an atheist. That was the line. A new chief chaplain at Harvard, Harvard, an atheist. Now, you may know that Harvard was started in the 17th century, and it was started by Puritans, uh, strong Bible-believing Christians, as a place to train their ministers because they want to make sure that their ministers were literate. And so that's the foundations of Harvard. But things have changed so dramatically through the centuries that now the person who coordinates all of the faith-based ministry on campus, the, the one who all the other chaplains answer to, is a person who does not believe there is a God, an atheist. That, that's how crazy things have gotten. And, and you read through the, the article, and, and it just keeps getting worse, everything that you, you read. Um, O'Loughlin writes this, To Mr. Epstein becoming, this is the atheist, Mr. Epstein, Becoming the organization's head, head over all the chaplains, especially as it gains more recognition from the university, comes as as affirmation of a year-long effort started by its predecessor to teach a campus with traditional religious roots about humanism. So basically, uh, Epstein is saying this is part of a concerted effort to get people thinking about life without God, how how you live life and do life without God. That's what humanism is. And, and he, listen to the quote directly from this atheist, Mr. Epstein. He says, we don't look to God for answers. We are each other's answers. Now, what in the world does that mean? We are each other's answers? What I mean? That's, that's, that's a nonsensical statement. But, but think about the hubris. Think about Think about someone saying, we don't look to a God for answers. There's other, some other crazy quotes um, throughout this article, but it's, it's very, very discouraging what's going on. But the, the question becomes, how does a, an organization like Harvard, a, a university, started to train ministers, how does it get to the point where the head of chaplains is an atheist? How did they get to that point, okay? They get to that point... By laying aside doctrinal truths. Somewhere along the line, someone said, well, uh, I don't know about this one. We're going to lay this one aside. And I don't know about this doctrine. Uh, we're going to lay this one aside. This one's not real palatable with folks. We're going to lay this one aside. And this one may be a little bit offensive. We're going to lay this one aside. And and over time, they've laid all doctrinal truth aside so that there are no rules. And now an atheist is running the faith-based ministries on campus, it, 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 this is a doctrinal issue. They, they got here because they laid aside, um, jettisoned doctrines, truths, realities about the Lord and about, uh, about the human condition. And so it's important that we talk about these things and we cling to these things and we reinforce these things because if we start laying aside these key doctrines, we find ourselves basically um, standing... For nothing and falling for anything, right? And that's the the status that we often see. So, we are talking about the doctrine of revelation. We began uh, this study last week, and we started with Psalm 19. So, turn to Psalm 19 with me. We're gonna we're gonna look at that again together. Psalm 19. We begin reading in verse 1 here in a moment. But let me just remind you of what we mean by the doctrine of revelation. Very simply, revelation is God's manifestation of himself. Revelation is when God makes himself known. That's what revelation is, all right? God's manifestation of himself. And just a quick reminder, I said this last week, but when God chooses to reveal himself, that's grace Because he doesn't have to, right? He doesn't have to reveal himself, but he chooses to. It's important that we know who he is and how we can be related rightly to him. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great English preacher, the middle 1900s, early to middle 1900s, writes, "...revelation is the act by which God communicates to human beings the truth concerning himself, his nature, works, will, or purposes." And it also includes the unveiling, that's what the word revelation means, the unveiling of all this, the drawing back of the veil that conceals this in order that we may see it. And so D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that that revelation is God unveiling himself, communicating himself to to us, and pulling back the veil so we can see these truths. And so let's look in Psalm 19, Psalm 19, and uh, verse 1, this is a Psalm of David. I want to show you that there are two types of revelation mentioned in this passage. There in verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor their there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. So David is looking around at the created order. He's looking up at the heavens. He's looking at the the sun rising and setting, and and just the the, the natural order of the cosmos. And he's marveling at the the creation. And he says there that the, the heavens are saying something. They're revealing something about God. Now, we call this general or natural revelation. We talked about this last week. So uh, you can, once we get the audios online, you can, you can look at uh, or listen to that uh, message from last week. But general revelation is, is God revealing himself to everyone everywhere. In, in other words, everyone everywhere has access to to looking around at the created order and saying, there must be someone powerful behind this. We may not know who it is, but someone did all of this. And, and God gives that revelation to all people. And all, not only does God give the natural revelation of creation, he gives us the natural revelation of conscience. Every human has a conscience. We all It's, it's been skewed by the fall, but we all have this deep down sense of justice and fairness and and right or wrong that's called our conscience where does the conscience come from it comes as a witness that there is a moral lawgiver in the universe and he gives every person a conscience even an atheist I, t- I said this last week but even an atheist who says well i'm an atheist i don't believe in god we're all just a bunch of molecules bouncing around each other if, if you go to him and you take his keys and get in his car and drive it off he's going to say that's wrong you shouldn't steal my car Right? Why? We all have this sense of conscience, of right and wrong. And so everyone everywhere has access to the creation to look around and, and experience the created order. You know, the stars, the moon, the sun, the galaxies, the Grand Canyon, the Pacific Ocean, Mount Everest, I mean, you name it, it's there for us to see. And, and, and the Bible says that humanity should look at creation and say, wow. Whoever's behind this, I want to worship him. But Romans 1 says that's not what most of humanity does. Humanity says, I'm going to lay aside that revelation, and I'm going to worship the creature rather than the creator. And that's what Romans 1 says. But Romans 1 says that this natural revelation, this communication from God that everybody has access to, creation and conscience, is is not enough to save someone, but it's enough to to condemn them because they should know there's a God and they should be pursuing that God. So, uh, general revelation is available to everyone. But how someone gets saved? I mean, if someone is is standing outside looking at the stars and saying there is there must be a powerful being behind this this creation. I want to know him. Well, then they need to know some more information to be saved. They need to know who he is and how they can relate to him and how they can have a relationship with him and what's gone wrong so they need a relationship with him. And that kind of revelation is called special revelation. Special revelation. Now look back in Psalm 19. He's talked about creation, but look in verse 7. He gets specific about a certain type of revelation The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And so David's saying, not only has God spoken through creation, the heavens declaring the glory of God, God's given us his word. So we can know some specific things from him, about him, and how we relate to him. That's called special revelation. So last week we talked about general revelation, creation and conscience. We, we talked about the, the watchmaker illustration by William Paley. Remember that? If you're walking along a beach and you find a beautiful watch, I mean a, a, a watch that is so intricately put together and well made, you can look at that watch and say, someone made this. These these aren't random particles that came together. There's so much design in this watch, someone made this. Uh, That would be general revelation. But unless someone introduced you to the watchmaker or the watchmaker came and found you, you'd have no idea who the maker was, right? You would need not only the general revelation of saying, what a watch. You would need some more information, some special revelation to know who the one who made it was. That makes sense? So we're talking about special revelation night. And this is good stuff, exciting stuff. I'm fired up, and, and it's going to be good. So let's talk about special revelation. Here, here's a, just a, a, a definition to kind of get us going. God communicates His attributes, His ways and His plan to specific people at specific times. In specific places, enabling, that word enabling is an important word, enabling those persons to enter into a redemptive relationship with him. So God communicates in a specific way beyond general revelation, beyond creation and conscience. He communicates in a specific way so that people can then come to know him, have a relationship with him that comes through redemption. Because we're sinners, we need to be redeemed to, be, to know God. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross, to pay the penalty for us so we could be redeemed from our sin. So that's what special revelation is. So let me give you some examples. So, Pastor Wade, can you be a little more specific? What do you, what do you mean by a special revelation? Well, here's some examples. First of all, God's audible voice. God's audible voice. Who can think of an example in the Bible? and Talk to me for a minute. Who can think of an example in the Bible of God's audible voice? Someone hearing God's audible voice. Moses Moses at where? Burning bush. What did he tell him? Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And then he gave him instructions to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Okay, what's another example? Jesus Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water. Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and then they hear the Father, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. That also happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, so, audible voice from God. And God uh, spoke uh, through an audible uh, voice um, to specific people at uh, sp- in specific places at specific times. Um, I've never heard God speak audibly. Never have. And some people say, well, Pastor Wade, I mean, God could just speak to us audibly, right? I mean, he could just, he could just make it really, really clear for us, right? And just, hey, take this job or, or move to this house or whatever. He could speak to us audibly. Why, why, why doesn't he do Why don't we hear the audible voice of God? And maybe you have, but I've never have. Why, why don't we hear the audible voice? Why is it not a, a regular occurrence for us to hear the audible voice of God? Well, because we have the Bible. And, and think about it. If God chose to speak to you audibly, what would he say that he hasn't already said? Like, if, if God chose to, sp- chose to speak to this group tonight audibly, and we said, God, we want to hear your audible voice out loud to your people. What do you have to say? I bet he'd say something like, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. And then, hey, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? What's he going to say that he's not already said? He's given us his, uh, his scriptures. We'll talk about scriptures in a moment. But, but God's audible voice is one of the ways we see in scripture that God speaks. Uh, I don't completely um oh boy i don't i don't i don't completely rule out the fact that god could speak audibly today if he chose to i know people that said they've heard the audible voice of god and and god is god he does what he wants to do all right but it 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 does not seem to be normative in fact as you see the new testament unfold it does not seem to be the normative experience of christians all right. Now they have the Bible. The 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 apostolic doctrines are coming together. They have a foundation of faith, and it seems like this audible voice of God speaking to certain people uh, does not become a normative Christian experience. All right. Second, the second example: God's word is speech through human lips. So if you ever read through the Old Testament, you'll see God raising up prophets. And these prophets speak on behalf of God. And they begin their messages by saying this. I'll use the King James. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. It's all over the the scriptures. And so God is raising up humans, prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Malachi, Ezekiel, you know, prophets. And he's giving them messages. And when they are speaking, they are speaking on behalf of God himself. So that is the word of God, that special revelation from God to humanity, different people, different places through a human intermediary. Another example of of, uh, special revelation, and I just hit the wrong slide. Another example of special revelation is, uh, hold on one second. is uh, the Incarnation. The Incarnation. Get there. Look at over in Hebrews chapter uh, 1 with me. Hebrews chapter 1, New Testament uh, book of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So again, special revelation, God raised up prophets, spoke through them directly to groups of people. Mainly here, when he says our fathers, he's talking of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish people. But in these last days, he, God, has spoken to us by his Son. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. How does the incarnation communicate? Or, or how does God reveal himself through the incarnation? Two ways, and, and these are both pretty cool. First of all, and this is not in your notes, but I'm just going to give these to you. Um, his words. So think about it. When, when Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth, Jesus Christ has always existed, the second person of the Trinity. We'll talk about that some more next week. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and took on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That's the Christmas story, correct? So he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He had no earthly father, but he took on human flesh in the womb of his earthly mother, Mary. So when Jesus Christ was born, he was born fully God and fully man. You've heard Jesus called the God-man, all right? Now, if God is on earth in human flesh... When he talks, who's talking? God's talking. So when we have teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, that's, that's direct special revelation from God through Christ. He's speaking through His Son. Let me show you a, a cool example of this. Uh, look over with me in uh, Matthew chapter four verse four. Matthew chapter four verse four, this is when Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan to sin in the wilderness and Satan kept trying to lead Jesus astray. And every time he would tempt Jesus with another uh, temptation, Jesus would answer with Scripture, which, by the way, is a good strategy. When Satan tempts you, know your Bible so you can speak Scripture to Satan. But in chapter 4, verse 3, it says, The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written. He quotes here from Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's saying there that our ultimate sustenance is found in the truth of God's word. Now, keep that in mind. Look over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 2. He says, on a mountain with his disciples, and it says, he opened his, what? Mouth. And when he speaks, that is a word proceeding from the mouth of God. So Jesus' teaching is, uh, is God revealing himself through his son, Jesus. He, he's speaking God's word. So Sermon on the Mount is God speaking direct teaching. And we see this all throughout the Gospels. Now here is something you need to be careful, careful of. Some people like to pit Jesus' teaching against other parts of the Bible. And they say, well, Jesus said this, and he, he probably differed with Paul on this, and so we need to go with the red letters and not with what Paul said. And they, they try to pit Jesus' words against other parts of the Bible. But listen to me. God spoke it all. So the same God that spoke the Sermon on the Mount, that's red letters, if you have a red letter Bible, is the same God that inspired Paul to write down 1 Corinthians. It's the same God. You can't, you can't make a differentiation between, between the words of Jesus and other parts of Scripture. It's all inspired from God Himself. But, but, but through His teaching, we see God directly speaking to humanity. But there's another way that the incarnation is a revelation from God, and it's His character. His character. Look over in John chapter 1, very quickly. John chapter 1. Verse 18, John 1, 1 through 18 is one of the greatest passages in all the Bible. It's called the prolegomena. It's the, the, the preface, if you will, or the prologue before the gospel of John unfolds and uh, starts out with the powerful words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, it says, The Word who's always existed in the presence of God ha- has become flesh and dwelt among us, clearly speaking of Jesus Christ, leaving heaven, coming to earth, And look what it says in verse 18 of of John 1. It says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So Jesus, who is God himself, who is at the Father's side, he came to earth to, to show humanity what God is like. Because... Man can't stand in the unfiltered presence of the glory of God without just being incinerated. We need an intermediary. Jesus can't be our intermediary, and as he as he, as he robed himself in human flesh and lived out his life, he showed us the character and nature of God. So here's the deal: if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. He's the perfect representation, Hebrews 1 says, of the Father. He's the exact representation, the exact image of the Father. And so if you want to know what the the character and nature of God is like, just look at Jesus, God's Son, God on earth, God in human flesh. And then look over in John 14. John 14, verse 9, another verse that speaks to this. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen who? Who? The Father. And so he said, I'm here to show you what the Father's like. Because there's one God existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But here's the fourth uh, type of special revelation. The one that we're most familiar with. And that is the Bible. The Bible. Um, Exodus 31 is God giving his people the Ten Commandments. He actually wrote on tablets of stone. This is his word for the nation of Israel. But turn over to 2 Timothy 3.16. I want to show you this passage. 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul writing here says, All Scripture... Is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I love that phrase. All scriptures breathed out by God. Profitable for teaching, that means the Bible tells you what's right. Reproof, the Bible tells you when you're not right. Correction, the Bible tells you how to get right. And training in righteousness, the Bible tells you how to stay right. Amen? That's what the Bible's all about. All right, what's right, when you're not right, how to get right, how to stay right. But notice what it says there, all scripture is breathed out by God. And I love this translation. I think the ESV does a good job of it. Some translations say all scripture is inspired by God. But the the the, the literal Greek language is theonoustos. It's a compound word. Theos where we get the is the Greek word for God, and we get the word theology from, study of God. Theo, neustos is the word for uh, breath or wind. And so when you put those two words together, make it a compound word, it literally reads all scripture is, theo all scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God. Here's what that means it means that God used human uh, authors, He used their vocabulary, their experiences, their backgrounds, their personalities. And he moved on them to write some things down. And he was involved in that process to the degree that as they were writing these things down, they were writing down the very words of God. Writing down exactly what he wanted them to write down. That He breathed through human instruments so they would write down truth with no mixture of error. That's what 2 Timothy 3.16 means. All scripture is breathed out by God uh, through human instrumentality. And so uh, that's where we get the Bible, 66 books, um, 39 uh, Old Testament, 27 New Testament. And and these these 66 books make up one wonderful story where God is revealing himself to us. And, And think about what he's revealing. As you have your Bible, he's revealing, hey, God made it all. He made it all perfect. But in the garden, Adam and Eve blew it. And that's why you have the problems you have today. Every one of us in here, we have issues, we have problems, life is not perfect, and it all goes back to sin entering the world through Adam and Eve. Uh, Years ago, my kids were in vacation Bible school, and one of the songs that year, and they they sang it over and over again, so it's embedded on my brain and and, uh, in my heart. But it's a really good song. The song simply said, Sin Messed Everything Up. Pretty good theology, right? Sin messed everything up. But then the song says, God will make it all right. And, and, and God knows we're sinners. He knows we're separated from Him. He knows that sin is causing heartache and destruction and brokenness. And so God sent His Son, Jesus, to this earth so He would come and take on human flesh, live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins, rise from the grave, and save anyone who places their faith and trust in Him, forgiving them of their sins, washing their sins away, so that now that the impurity is gone, they can have a relationship with God and be restored in that, that relationship and fellowship that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. All that's in the Bible. So God is revealing himself through his word so we know who we are, we know what the problem is, and we know how to get right with God. That makes sense? That's, that's what the Bible's about. That's, that's the entire uh, story of redemption. And then the Bible tells us now that you are, when you become a Christian, you need to unite with other believers and you need to go tell other people this good news so they can be saved the way that you are. And, and that, that's what scripture is is all about. So this is the Bible. So let me read you this quote. It comes from Wayne Grudem. I'm going to take questions in a moment too. But this uh, quote comes from Wayne Grudem. He's a theologian. He wrote a, a really um, popular systematic theology. And I love this quote. He says, How the holiness and justice of God can ever be reconciled with His willingness to forgive sins is a mystery. So think about that. God is holy. He's perfect. He's just. As, as a holy God, he must punish sin. That's what holiness does. Holiness demands justice. And yet, there's this picture of God in the Bible, perfectly holy, but also the Bible says God is love. And he wants to save people and forgive people. He wants them to have a relationship with himself. So how in the world can a holy God that, that demands justice... Show his love to sinners and bring them into relationship with himself. How can both of those things happen? Well, let's look at the rest of the quote. It's a mystery. And this mystery has never been solved by any religion apart from the Bible. You study any religion you want to, any world of religion, any cult, any, any group you want to, and, and none of them can give a satisfactory answer as to how a holy God can forgive wicked sinners. their their system never answers that question, all right? Usually their system says, well, yeah, you're a sinner, you've blown it, but just try to do better. Just try to work your way to God. And and we understand that no matter how good we are, our sin still separates us from God, right? No matter how many good works we do, our sin separates us from God. So keep reading. It is the great wonder of our redemption that God himself has provided the way of salvation. How? How's a holy God save wicked sinners that deserve punishment? By sending his own son, who is both God and man, to be our representative. He took on human flesh. And to bear the penalty for our sins. He died for us. He took our punishment. Thus, watch this, combining the justice and love of God in one infinitely wise act, that's the cross. At the cross... God exercised perfect holiness in pouring out his wrath on our sin as Jesus took our sin on himself. But at the cross, God also displayed perfect love in that he provided a substitute for you and I so that we could be forgiven, right? So at the cross, justice and love, justice and mercy come together. That's why the cross is so significant. And Grudem says this, This fact which seems commonplace to the Christian ear. We've heard that before. You say, Pastor, I've heard about the cross. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I I got it. No, we we hear it so much it becomes commonplace. He says it should should not lose its wonder for us. It could never have been conceived by man alone apart from God's special verbal revelation. In other words, he's saying we never would have come up with this on our own. God had to show us, this is the way that I've made for you to be a Christian. I've sent my son Jesus to die for your sins so my holiness could be satisfied and my love could be exercised by providing a way of salvation for lost sinners like me. And so Grudem's saying, if we didn't have the Bible, we would not understand that. We would not know that. We would not understand the import of that. And we would just be walking around saying, who made this watch? Who made this watch? Pretty cool, but I wish I knew who made it. I wish I could know that watchmaker. But without special revelation, without the Bible, we, we would not know his name. We would not know that we're separated from him. We would not know that he made a way for us to be reconciled to him. We would not know that he loved us so much he gave his only son for us, right? We have to have the Bible for that. So what are the implications? Let me give you the implications. I'm going to take some questions, one or two, and then we'll we'll be done. I'm rapidly taking I'm taking time out of my question and answer period, but very quickly. Number one, we should appreciate creation and conscience as God's revelations. So we should be grateful that that God has spoken through creation, that it, it communicates to everyone everywhere. There is a God. We have a, a sense of justice, a of, uh, you know, sense of morality somewhere embedded in our hearts. It's called our conscience, which proves there is a moral lawgiver who put it there. And so we should appreciate this. Creation conscience are good. God is good to, to give, us, uh, give us those gifts. We'll talk some more about it in just a moment, how these come together. Secondly, we should cherish our Bibles. If, if, if general revelation is not enough to be saved, we should be grateful that God spoken to us through his word. Amen? We're not walking around saying, who made this watch? We have our Bibles. We know who made it all. We should cherish our Bibles. In fact, hold your place. Turn to Psalm 119 with me. Psalm 119, near the back, the longest chapter in the Bible. Look in uh, verse 162. Psalm 119, verse 162. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. When's the last time you said, God, I just want to praise you for giving me some commandments. Your commandments are so good and they help me so much. Thank you for, for showing me what I need to do. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. COVID-19 can't make them stumble. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and, and, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. So the psalmist here is just just exemplifying this love for the word. He's talking about special revelation, your law, your commandments, your precepts. I love your word. I love the Bible. Do you? Do you love your Bible? Do you understand how special this revelation from God to us is? I mean, this when you open, I, I tell my kids this all the time. When you open up your Bible and you begin to read, the God of creation, the majestic God of the universe is actually speaking to you. Wow. And we just kind of go through the motions and we don't take it seriously. And it's God's word. God himself has spoken his word. He breathed it out for you. We should cherish our Bibles and and and. I always put a plug in for it. listen. If you don't, if you don't have, a, you don't know where I'm going with this. If you don't have, a, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, you need a Bible reading plan. You, you need to, you need to uh, have a systematic way. It could be a one year plan, a two year plan, a five year. I don't care what it is, but some kind of plan where you're systematically going to read all of God's word over a period of time. Doesn't matter. There's nothing magical about. it. I do a year. Nothing magical about a year. But again, you have heard me say this before. But you don't want to get to heaven and meet Haggai having never read his book. Amen? All right, some of you are like, I need to go read Haggai tonight. (laughs) We should cherish our Bibles. Now, here's the third implication. General special revelation, all right? We should strive to get the special revelation of the gospel to those who only have general revelation. We should strive to get special revelation of the gospel to those who only have... General Revelation. So say we're sitting on the beach, and we see this guy walk by and pick up this watch. And he's saying, boy, this is a beautiful watch, beautiful design, intricate, exemplary craftsmanship. I wonder who made this. Let's just say that you knew the watchmaker. Now, by any reasonable standard, you'd say, hey, I know him or her. Let me introduce you right? You'd say, let me connect you. I I know them. Let me show them. Let let me let you meet them. And that's just what we would do. Well, in the same way, people everywhere have access to the fact that God has made everything. There's creation declaring the glory of God. And if people say, I wonder who's behind all of this, we can say, we know him. We know who it is. He's a God who spoke through his word. He revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And you can have a relationship with him just the same way that I have. You can can share the good news and and, and let people know that God has spoken to us about his son, Jesus. Let me show you an example of this coming together. Look over in Acts chapter 14. and We'll be through. I'll take some questions. Acts 14, verse 8. Paul and Barnabas are on a missionary journey. He says, they were at Lystra. There was a man sitting uh, who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him said, "Him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they began to mention some Greek gods, Barnabas. They called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So they're saying, hey, there was a healing done. That must mean that the gods we know about are active in this situation. And so they, they began to call Paul and Barnabas by these Greek god names: Zeus and Hermes. And the and the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice for the crowd. So this is kind of comical somebody went to the priest the the zeus priest and said hey zeus is here and let's go let's go worship zeus right but when the apostles barnabas and paul heard of it they tore their garments and rushed out to the crowd crying out men why are you doing these things we are also men of like nature with you we bring you good news you could substitute that phrase in that phrase we bring you special revelation We got something specific for you to hear we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living god who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them that's general revelation in past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways yet he did not leave himself without witness so he's saying you're not you're not innocent because you're not ignorant god's always left himself with a witness look what he says he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And so here's what Paul's saying. You've had and enjoyed the general revelation of God. You've seen God work and even bless you through the created order. But now we've got some more information. We've got some good news about how you turn to this living God. And they preached the gospel there in Lystra and, and and sought to start a church there in Lystra. It made some folks mad they got stoned for doing it. But in this passage, Paul talks about general revelation, creation. But he also says, I got some good news. I got some special revelation. I got something that you need to hear if you want to know the God who's behind the created order. And so that's a good example of... Of striving to get the special revelation of the gospel to those who only have general revelation, and so that's why we do missions. So that's, that's why Kelsey is in a another country on the other side of the world right now. That's why we give to Lottie Moon and Cooperative Program, and why we are involved in church planting in North America, and why we send short-term mission teams. And, and, and that's we do all of this because people need to hear the good news. There are people out there that have never heard about Jesus. And they need to hear the good news so they can embrace him as Lord and Savior and be reconciled to the one true God so they can know who the designer is. Who made this watch? Who made these heavens? Who made this earth? Who, who, who made my body? Who gave me genetic coding like DNA? Who did all this? And we can say, we know him. Embrace Jesus and you can know him too. Amen? Amen? That's why we go with special revelation.